In the 10 months after COVID, we delivered 1,621 Zoom meetings. Oh. Uh, we had we ended up having twenty four and a half thousand participants on Zoom alone in those ten months. We had over a million minutes of participant time on Zoom alone, and we reached eighty nine countries on Zoom alone. Hey guys, today our guest is Leslie Robertson, CEO and founder of Open Audience. It's a technology company in the business of live events. Last year, his business got hit so hard by COVID because obviously all live events were canceled overnight. And to me, this person is an icon of resilience because he was able to adjust to this new reality of online events so quickly. And I believe he's even busier and even more successful these days than he was a year ago. I think that this is the type of mindset that all of us have to adopt. Let's switch to Leslie. Hello, everyone. Uh, today, our guest is Leslie Robertson, CEO and founder of Open Audience. Uh, Leslie, how are you today? I'm really well, thank you. Are you good? Good, good. Thank you. Thank you for taking the time. Uh, Leslie, tell me a couple of words about your business. What's uh, Open Audience? So we, we are audience engagement specialists and uh, with some smart tech. So we're the guys that you'd have in the room when you're running a meeting or a conference and you're thinking, how do I engage my audience more effectively? So that might be, how do you design the agenda? How do you use technology? What do you do before, during and afterwards? And how do you measure the value of what you deliver mm -hmm. at your event? Okay. and. As far as I understand, before COVID, it was largely offline events, right? Shows, exhibitions, conferences, what, what have you. Yeah, in the 12 months pre-COVID, we were on 12, uh, we were on six continents, mm -hmm. uh, delivering physical events, of which we did about 140. Uh, I think we're in 32 countries. We ran uh, meetings in China a few times, Japan, Singapore, Chile, Argentina, North America 14 times, most countries in Europe, uh, Dubai. Uh, and, and we would effectively work with an organization running a meeting and we would be brought in because they thought, for example, a lot of the people don't speak English and they need to be more creative about how they engage them. Yeah. And you said 140 meetings, right? Yes. And to most of them, you fly your people. You used to fly your people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We on site. spend our lives on an aeroplane. We would go to Bangkok for 90 minutes. Not very environmentally friendly. Uh, <laughs> but we would be working for a few weeks before, fly out to, to Bangkok, 90-minute meeting and fly home again. We were on one meeting in China where... Uh, we had one overnight in China before we were home, and the rest of the time was spent on an airplane. Oh. So, so uh, what, what kind of team would it take to run a meeting? Is it just one person or...? Well, I, I think in the, way, the business model that we had before was there would already be an audiovisual team, there would be an agency, there would be the client. And we mm -hmm. would turn up probably one person in a team of five or six. Mm -hmm. uh, if we were running a meeting where we were running technology offline, 
we might have two people or three people at a meeting in North America because mm -hmm. we might have, I don't know, 300 iPads connected to our network. Uh, and with that number of iPads, it's not a one-person job. So right. you know, a project manager, a senior tech, and maybe a, 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 a runner who could go and get the iPads out of the cupboard and, and set them up for us. And you used to fly there to basically set up the meeting from a technical standpoint, right? So the software, the hardware, the yeah. different modes of presentation, all of that, right? Yeah, yeah, slightly more than that because we would we would arrive at the rehearsal mm -hmm. and during the rehearsal we had the speakers in the organization, we'd sit at the back of the room and they mm -hmm. would say, well, we've got a 96 page protocol that people have to read. How can yeah. we do that? And we would say, we've, we've got technology that can do that. And if they said, we need, we need case studies looked at tomorrow, what's the best way to get feedback from the audience? We would say, oh, we could program the case studies on our platform. Mm -hmm. Would that be helpful? Well, let us show you how that works. So we would have a broad plan with maybe 80% of it configured before we arrived on site. And then we'd, inter we'd interfere positively at the last minute and give the, give the speakers and the moderator and the chairperson confidence that they could use the technology to do more than they expected. Okay. Interesting. When you have to travel so much for business, and I, I know your colleague Pedro used to have like just himself, like 50, 50 70 business trips a year, right? Uh, yeah. How do you manage that? I mean, travel can be super exhausting. How do you manage to do that? Uh, don't, don't find it exhausting. Uh, and I think I think my colleague Pedro, I, I think he was away from home at one point six weeks, uh, and I, I had to. I, I met him in Miami. We're based in the UK. Uh, it was yeah. easier for me to meet him in Miami from Spain uh, than it was to meet him in London. Uh, I, I think it's just you just get into a process. It's like like people who fly airlines do all the time. You know, so yeah. I used to look forward to more the, the long haul because you could do 10 hours of emails on the plane. For right. me, it was it was like great uh, because it was part of the, the process was I've got 10 hours to catch up with my email. Uh, I've got all these things that I could do. Uh, when you're on an event in a, in a country, you're on event time. You, you've got no concept. To, uh, you don't have time for jet lag. Uh, you yeah. don't have time to mess around with what time zone. You get on the plane, you put your watch to the location you're going to, and you're then on their time zone until you put your watch on for the UK coming home again. Uh, and it's a mindset. Uh, I, I, I love it. I, I, love, I love the chance to go to countries to run stuff that you'd never go on holiday. Uh, so very, very lucky. Uh, you know, Great places, great locations, and, and brilliant meetings. That's, that's one hell of an attitude right yeah. here. Uh, so again, before COVID, your business was very tightly connected with uh, live events, right? Yes. And they basically no longer exist until right now, and they stopped in basically a week, right? How did you not go crazy? Uh, I, I, I think like a lot of people, I was quite skeptical uh, about COVID. My, my last trip last year was Atlanta, Georgia. Mm -hmm. uh, and I can remember almost laughing at the fact that some people were worried coming to the meeting because the percentage of people that had COVID officially in America at that point was 
0.000009% of the population. And it's like, like, why wouldn't you come? And, and you know, with a bit of hindsight, that's a crazy attitude. Uh, and, and so COVID started, and then all of a sudden, uh, that was in maybe March, the March events disappeared. And then the April ones, and we had a full 12-month order book, a, a, a really good order book. And then the May ones started. Then people started putting May and June back till the autumn. And then yeah. like a pack of cards, everything disappeared. So one yeah. after another, every phone call we got from a client or an agency was the meeting isn't running. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's that's the point where it's like, oh dear, you know, like <laughs> there's no business. Uh, yeah. I've got lots of employees, uh, yeah. lots of investment in the company. Uh, how long is this going to last? Uh, what can we do in the meantime to keep the lights on? Uh, and that, that literally was like, is there anything we can do? You've got to manage the loss of the events professionally because you don't know when they're coming back. So, and then your clients are in exactly the same situation. They're panicking. The agencies are panicking because all their business is, is losing, is getting lost. So you kind of adopt an attitude, which is we're all in it together. Yeah. Uh, and we've all got to survive. And you've got to be aware that people are not choosing to postpone the meeting because they don't like you. It's, yeah. it's COVID. So I, I, I think there was a certainly a month where it's like, um, what do I do? You know, is, is there any business? Is there any future? Uh, do can I just shut down for a year? Like, like what's mm -hmm. happening? And and I think that was the point. But it's always like, but there must be something that we can do mm -hmm. uh, to keep the lights on. And and it really was what what can we imagine or anticipate the future would look like? What's the opportunity? Yeah, the fact that we've now got a team of people who don't have anything to do. Can I get them to do something else? Yeah. Did you did you like actually lose some sleep that period, or you you were taking it kind of easily? Well, I, I think I, was, I, I What can you do? Um, I, I can't solve a global pandemic. You know, right. shit happens, as they say. You know, and it's like, uh, but what you've got to do is think, right, okay, if we are where we are, is there a plan? Is there a way out? Way out? How can we be positive? How can I keep the rest of the team motivated? Uh, mm -hmm. When they're thinking, do I have any job? Am I going to get paid? I've got a house, I've got kids, I've got bills to pay. Uh, and, and all the money stops coming in. So I think the mm -hmm. first thing I did was get out my calculator <laughs> and go online and work out when does the money run out? You know, and, and what could you immediately do? And I had some practical things. I stopped some payments and, and negotiated a, a payment holiday. Uh, I stopped giving the government my taxes, yeah. <laughs> various other things, uh, until I could work out, have I got any income coming in in the future? You were able to rebuild your business to cater to this new reality, right, of online events. Yeah. Can you tell me a couple of words about that? How did you manage to make, make the switch? Because like online events and offline events are two completely different things, right? So, sort of. So, so I, 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 I sat here and thought, well, I'm not, an, I'm not an event expert and I'm not a technology expert, uh, but I've got okay. people in my team that are both. Okay. Uh, and, and so for me, I, I took a step back and thought, whether it's a physical event or an online event, you've got an agenda, you've got speakers, you've got content, you want it to run well, you want to engage people, and you want to measure the value. 
So in that sense, the meetings are the meeting is a meeting is a meeting, whether it's a thousand people in Singapore or it's a thousand people online. The difference is the technology solution to deliver it. So I, I got my team together <clears throat> and basically said, do we know what we're doing technically? How are we going to do it? What do people use? What platforms are out there? I started having demos of every platform I could think of mm -hmm. in a way to try and understand what's the art of the possible. So, you know, Zoom, go to webinar, press it, uh, and a million platforms. Uh, you, do, you do a quick review of the market and then work out, is there any that we have that we can do that we can use? And, and if your clients are panicking that they don't know what they do, then if we can go and say, well, look, if you can take it virtual, we can keep you safe. And then that's how we started to build a new business model. Okay. How much time was before, like between when you stopped having offline events and when you were full-time busy with the uh, online events? Uh, two months. Two, two months. Two, months uh and 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 it, it, i think once you do one you do two you do three and once you do one with one client you do one with another and once you build the experience and this client asks for that and that client asks for this you learn as you go uh, and as long as you have confidence that you're not going to let them down you do okay and i think if you take we run zoom today for example you know, in the 10 months after COVID, we delivered 1,621 Zoom meetings. Oh. Uh, we, had, we ended up having 24,500 participants on Zoom alone in those 10 months. We had over a million minutes of participant time on Zoom alone. And we reached 89 countries on Zoom alone. And, and if you look at in the same 10 months till December on Vimeo, we uh, had eight and a half thousand people on Vimeo that collectively spent 20, two, 270 days of content watching. And we had 99 countries on Vimeo, uh, including Guadeloupe and Aruba. <laughs> you know, and that's, that's just on two, two, two platforms. And you had GoToWebinar and we're using other stuff. But just the transition between doing something that started initially on, do we know how to use Zoom? Uh, oh, the video's not so great. Oh, right, there's a button which says improve video. Hey, oh, why, is, why can you improve the video and then the slides are not so good? Oh, right, because you have to take that button off. You know, and, and how can you do this where you do something around the registration? Oh, right, how do you do registration? Uh, and so the first part of using Zoom was, can you see the slides? Can you hear the video? If we put them into a breakout, do they come back? Uh, and, and if we record it, have we got a recording? And, and that's where we started. And, and, and where we've ended up is so far away from that Zoom on steroids, where we're using you know, virtual studios on Zoom, we're using multiple platforms where Zoom is a step towards Vimeo, towards YouTube, towards Facebook, you know, branded, framed, et cetera. But you have to start and get the basics right. Uh, and, and I think everybody, the industry was learning, we were learning, uh, and people were just looking for partners that could keep them safe and, and knew what they were doing uh, and allowed them to keep the business going. So in a true startup fashion, you were basically changing the wheels 
on the bus that was still going 100 miles an hour. Yeah, and I didn't even know if we were on a bus. <laughs> that's the <laughs> thing. It felt like, you know, it's a good analogy. You see these guys in the cycle race where there's a bike going along the road and it has a puncture. And these guys are, are hanging out the car, fixing the puncture while the car's yeah. moving. That's yeah. what we felt we were, we were doing. Uh, you know, the more we did, the more confidence we had, the more we could offer. And, and I think what was interesting was the move we, we, we're probably now working with 80% of the clients we're working with we were not working with pre-COVID. Okay. And probably 80% of the meeting types we're doing now were not meeting types we're doing pre-COVID. Okay. So, so what's happened is that uh, I think the, the sort of virtual world's kind of gone through, let's just run our internal meetings. Oh, should we do some external customer meetings? Oh, let's get that right. Uh, oh, these big customer meetings, we, we'll, we've just postponed it for a year because we'll get back to physical in 2021. And now they're like, yeah, we're not going to do physical in 2021 for a, a whole bunch of reasons I could go into. Uh, so they're now saying we've got to do something because right. a, a one-year postponement's okay, but we can't postpone for two years. And, yeah. and I've had quite a lot of conversations with clients now about, right, I can't postpone for a year. What else could I do? Yeah. Uh, I don't know if I can run a, a, a virtual meeting for 1,800 people and it be successful, or, or can I? So we're having more and more of those kind of, of conversations. Interesting. So it did take, in, uh, it, it did take some talking to clients uh, in order to like, persuade them to try virtual events, right? I, I'm, I'm guessing most of them were not really open to the idea uh, in the first place. Yeah, well, I, I think the early part of post-COVID was, you know, it was a Zoom generation, wasn't it? You were phoning, you, you had your grand, grandmother on Zoom. You were yeah. having parties, kids were on Zoom. It was, it was like the, you know, it was, it was like the, the Facebook for meetings. All of a yeah. sudden, it was really, really popular. But I think everybody had really mixed experiences and a lot of people realized that, that technically they weren't very good. And, and so there was a reluctance to run meetings because people didn't want to look foolish mm -hmm. uh, when it comes to running a meeting. And, and somebody say, can you share your slides? Like, like where are my slides? Uh, yeah, oh, that's your emails. We don't want to see your emails. Can you show us, like, that's your slide, that's your folder. I think you need to click in here. And you've all been on, we've all been on these kind of meetings. Yeah. So people still wanted a high, a high professional meeting, uh, but it's like most things, you know, if they want people that are more expert than they are in terms of running some things. Yeah. And that's, that's where we came in. And the more we did, the more experience we got, the more examples we could give people uh, that, that, that really, you know, allowed us to build a portfolio of really uh, excellent delivery. Mm -hmm. Interesting. I want to switch gears for just a second. You worked at AstraZeneca at a number of senior positions for a long time, right? And this company, I mean, I didn't know the name of it. And many people didn't know even the name of it. I know it's a huge company, but now like everybody in the, in the world knows what it is, right? Along with a couple others. Uh, knowing the industry from the inside, and I know that you're, events and your open audience business is also very heavily submerged into pharmaceuticals and healthcare. Mm -hmm. Knowing the industry from the inside, 
what's your take on the prospects of vaccination? I mean, a year ago, most people, even professionals and probably especially professionals, didn't expect vaccinations to start so quickly or didn't ex even expect the vaccine to be available so quickly, to be mm -hmm. even designed so quickly. And now it's rolling out and it's uh, like in the UK where you're based, yeah. uh, it's fantastic results, right? You're already at about like, I think I read 50% of the population is already yeah, more, vaccinated. More. Yeah, more, yeah, more than 50 got their first shot, which is, which is fantastic. I mean, you probably wouldn't dream about it just a couple of months ago. What's your take on like how quickly can vaccination process uh, go through? Are there any bottlenecks beyond? I mean, some countries, including UK, are successful outliers right now, right? But many countries are so far behind. Do you think on a global scale we'll have the world vaccinated soon? And if no, what's what's the reason for that? Well, I, 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 that, that's quite a complex question. I, I guess, yeah, my background is healthcare. Uh, and uh, I, I guess I'm naturally sceptical about the use of vaccines and, and drugs, even though I worked in a healthcare company. Okay. But I think what it causes you to do is it causes you to look at the clinical data. So we do a lot of clinical investigator meetings of products still to come to market. Uh, and when you look at the quality of the science that goes in to prove how safe a product is, I, I have confidence that when the product is declared safe, it's safe, that nobody's hiding anything. It's not Hollywood. Yeah. You know, there's so many people go through so much of the data uh, to make decisions that you've got to assume that if it's safe and or the recognized side effects, they are, they, they are what they are. Uh, and, I, and I think you either come from a generation where you think that, you know, having a tick-borne encephalitis jab or a rabies jab uh, or an influenza jab or a German measles jab or, you know, whatever meningitis, you either believe that that's really helpful or you don't. Uh, yeah. I, I happen to have had practically every jab you can think of. Uh, when I was traveling a lot with AstraZeneca, uh, we had a, a team of people that worked out your travel itinerary and then gave you the vaccinations that you needed. So I have had tick-borne encephalitis, I have had rabies, I've had XYZ. I used to travel a lot in Africa and the Far East, Indian subcontinent and Eastern Europe. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I, personally, I've always had all my kids vaccinated. Uh, but I think, that, I think the challenge you've got now is that, uh, that there's, there's a certain degree of vaccination nationalism happening. You can see it in the European Union. Uh, India, and because the global supply chain is global, for India, which is the global center of vaccine production, they rely on material and, uh, you know, and, and components that come from America. Mm -hmm. uh, the Americans decided that they wanted to control all the components because they wanted to be able to manufacture vaccines in America. So they've stopped the export of the export of the of the components that the Indian vaccine manufacturers need to make billions of doses. So okay. there's a supply. Europe's talking about uh, stopping AstraZeneca exporting. They have already stopped AstraZeneca exporting vaccines from Europe because the Europeans say they want them because yeah. they signed uh, an agreement. Uh, the, the Pfizer uh, Biogen uh, vaccine gets made by components built in the UK or biological components. Mm -hmm. So if, 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 there's a, if, if the Europeans stop uh, 
the vaccines go to Europe. The UK could, and I don't think they would stop the components for the Pfizer vaccine going to Europe. Yeah. You know, and that's a really, really crazy position to be in because you want the world vaccinated. Mm -hmm. Or you want the majority of places you go vaccinated because you're only as good as your your next, you know, unvaccinated person. You know, and we talked about travel. Airlines are talking about unless you have a vaccination certificate, you don't get on a plane. Right. You know, and uh, but what do you do in a country that they don't exist or you don't have access to them? Or it's only the elite, the elite or the people that can pay for them. And I think I think what I see is a lot of Europe and certainly UK has bought enough vaccines to vaccinate the the, the country like five times. Don't quote mm-hmm. me about it, but five times. But what okay. they've said is they'll vaccinate the UK, build a base, and then start sending those vaccines to the countries that can't afford them. But what they've decided, what the UK has decided to do is vaccinate the UK population first. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's uh, and, and so you've got ethical, you've got moral, but I, I, I genuinely believe it's safe because I've looked at the data. Uh, but if yeah. you believe that it's not safe, you know, you're, you're not going to take it. But the impact is you might not take it. And what does that do for people uh, who are vulnerable that you might be a carrier? No question. No question. Do you think from a economical and logistical perspective, do you think this thing is going... Uh, to be over this year? No, not at all. Uh, I, I mean, the, the more the more data I look at it, luck, luckily or unluckily, a lot of the meetings we run are COVID-19 related meetings. Right. So we actually run COVID meetings where they're talking about the vaccines and they're mm-hmm. talking about the impact on society and they're talking about the science behind it. So we're in a very privileged position that we're running meetings where you know, the companies that have the vaccines are explaining the use of the vaccine to healthcare professionals. So I I think the sense from that is, for me, it it has to be like influenza. Mm -hmm. You know, ever since I was a sales rep, I've had a flu jab every year because I used to spend my life in doctor surgeries waiting to see doctors next to sick people. Mm -hmm. So I I just got, but the, the influenza jab every year is different. Because it takes six months at least to to grow it, because it's, it's you know they grow the jab you know through for whatever means, and and when you get an influencer jab in the UK, it's based on what was happening in Asia six months before, right. so they take what, what the flu uh, the flu structure in, in in Asia guess that that's going to make its way to the UK, yeah. and then they grow the vaccination for influenza in the UK, and you get a jab every year. But it's only ever 60, 70% effective. Less effective if you put up your nose, more effective if you have a jab. And and if you look at what's happening with the different COVID types, the South African variant, the Brazilian, whatever, uh, they can change the the vaccination based on new variants. They just kind of go in the back end, switch a few things around, and then it addresses other problems. Uh, and and I genuinely think that once you get through this year where everybody's at least getting the first dose, it's going to be something you get every year. Now they know how to make it work. You'll, you'll yeah, just get yeah. it every year, a different form based on whatever the variant is. Uh, and I think what's interesting is they see some other beneficial uh, benefits in the UK of taking the jab because people have got rheumatoid arthritis and some respiratory problems there's, there's, there's evidence, although it's not official, that the, the, the COVID jab is having a positive impact on other 
uh, are, are their medical conditions. I'm not a medic. <laughs> Don't take that as, as, as absolutely true. But the yeah. science would suggest that the way that the COVID jabs are built is having a beneficial effect on the body being able to fight other, other, other diseases. You know? Right. And that's, that's really exciting. Okay. Okay. That's, that's interesting insight. Do you feel like people miss online events uh, being like home for so long? I mean, do you feel like the world is going back to offline events um offline or online or, or physical uh, i'm sorry so do you feel like people miss offline events like do yeah. people do, do you feel like people like the world is coming back to where it was like a year and a half ago having yeah. huge conferences exhibitions what have you business travel no i i think what's interesting is the uk is maybe ahead and they've said okay you can start to have things first thing happens people are running music festivals right okay Right. But what you're finding is the locations and the companies running live events are driving live events returning. If you talk to people who would attend live events, they're less mm -hmm. keen. They're less keen to go to live events for, for a number of reasons. Uh, so I, I, I think, you know, you may choose to set up a live event, but you're going to have people, if it's a global event like the ones that we've been involved in, You're going to have people who are not vaccinated who can't travel because they can't get on an air, airline or they don't want to travel because they don't trust it. The family don't want them to travel. Uh, we work with some pharmaceutical companies that said none of their employees can go to a physical meeting until 2022 at the earliest. Uh, I was also talking to another organization that normally bring 5,000 healthcare professionals to a physical location for a conference every year. They're talking about it not happening until 2023. So I think a lot of the big events, there's a desire for people to come back to physical, but I think there's a reluctance of the people who would pay to go or the companies that sponsor to, to, to sponsor physical events. And, and I think that's, that's going to be a theme this year that we are still being asked to maybe go to the hybrid model. Mm -hmm. So people are going from physical to fully virtual. Now they're saying, oh, hybrid. How do you define hybrid? Well, hybrid might be four people in a studio, no mm -hmm. audience, the rest of speakers outside. Uh, I might be running a hybrid meeting in California, no, in Florida in October, where there's mm -hmm. 300 people in the location, plus 80% the speakers, but there's another 500 people globally who mm -hmm. will not come this year mm -hmm. to Florida. So the technical challenge of getting three people and the networking and the content to another 800 who are at home or in hubs in other countries is a much more technically challenged thing. Uh, and I, there's a lot of our clients are saying, you know what, this meeting type and that meeting type and this one, we used to run it physically three or four times a year. We're not doing that now. Why would we? We might have a leadership meeting. We might have one physical. But the other three are always going to be virtual because we can do some good stuff in virtual. And if you can run it professionally, why would we put everybody on a plane from a sustainability perspective? Why would we take them away from home for four or five days when they can be at home, be at their family and just dial in from home and not lose all the value? There is some right. value you lose. The, the networking, the beer chat, the sitting together at breakfast, the chatting on the bus, Uh, the waving at each other across the conference hall. But yeah, a lot of yeah. the realities, you could do a lot of that online. 
if you're if you're willing to be creative, there's a lot of things that we do for networking uh, mm-hmm. that get you part of the way there, but don't get you the full being able to hug somebody, you know, or, or shake their hand. But there's a lot of other things you could do virtually. So I, I think the future is probably going to be a mix. My my best guess is a mix of physical, hybrid, and virtual. But whereas virtual before was maybe five percent of meetings. I think virtual is going to be running at 30%, 40% for the foreseeable future, which means as a technology company, we have to think we're back to physical. We have to think about how we're delivering hybrid and we have to keep the virtual stuff going. Uh, my next question was about, I mean, I used to go on professional events all the time, right? And I used yeah. to travel a lot for business. Um, and I think that for many professionals, traveling for business was was sometimes a an excuse to get sort of a you know get away from the daily routine and from the family and from what have you. And B, and I think most importantly, going physically on an event was um, I mean physical events, live events, real events, they have serendipity, right? So you run into people from your industry that you normally yeah. wouldn't run into, yeah. right? And uh, I think online events, they are a lot more efficient, which might be a bad thing because you, I mean, everything is usually going as planned. I I went to a couple online conferences as well last year and this year, and uh, it's fine when it comes to knowledge, but it doesn't have the serendipity. You don't like get to network and to meet new people that might be valuable for your professional life, right? Do you uh, think this is fixable in? Uh, well, well, you you, you haven't online. been on you haven't been on our meetings. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I I think the the networking thing is interesting, and I'll come back to that. Uh, but but what we're being asked to do more and more is we're running meetings in Russian, Polish, German, French. We ran one on Saturday in Portuguese and Spanish. Uh, so the, the language thing is not an issue in terms of how you do this. And, and what you're finding is a lot of internal meetings. We did one for a team in Germany who every year would go to a, 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 like a, the equivalent of a circus pub in Munich. And that was their annual thing. They've done it for like five years. There's entertainment. Uh, there's acrobats. There's, you know, people dress up like a, a, like a circus. And you all dress up and you dress up in costume and have a great time. So they can't do that this year, obviously. So what we decided to do was how could we help them get towards it so they could have their end of the year meeting and it still be fun. Right, so we, right. we did a bunch of stuff from uh, getting a leadership team with green screens to, to juggle with balls. So to learn how to juggle as a team. So we got that. We put green screens on, we put a background. For the opening presentation, we actually gave them all virtual backgrounds that looked like the location in Munich. So that for the first 90 minutes, as they were presenting, they were in the location in Munich, even though they were at home, right? Mm-hmm. So the first, the first 90 minutes was pretending to be in Munich and they dressed up, you know? Okay. So that, that was giving the rest of the team, look, we're almost there. But what they'd done was they'd given some stuff at home and sent some beer and wine and things like that so they can use that at different times. And then what they did was the kind of thing you do in a physical event where you might have some table magician or whatever. They brought in a magician and they brought in something else and they did that on live. Uh, and then for their networking and socialization, we set up for them seven breakout rooms 
and right. and there were seven themes, and the theme was football, uh, jokes that dads tell. There was uh, you know skiing. There was animals. There was something else. Something else. And you chose which room to go in to socialise, but your right. task right. was to create a quiz for the rest of the, uh, the the team. So we managed in ninety minutes to get a quiz together for seven rooms to go go back. Uh, and, and then there was a, a whole bunch of other stuff that just allowed them to network. So you can do something that's a bit more like a physical conference where you still have some fun. And we took music and we put photographs and we turned the photographs into montage with music. But the networking thing we've done a lot. So when people say, I want to network in a meeting, the question is, well, why? And what do you mean by networking? Mm-hmm. And, and some people say, well, it's speed dating. You know, one minute with it someday random. Other people say, oh, it's based on I want people who speak Polish to meet other Polish people or people right. that are interested in this coding have to be able to meet with other coders. Uh, or, or I want a table of networking where I've got key people on every table and people can drop in and, and talk like that. Uh, we, we, we did networking, one meeting where it's like they didn't have time in the program to socialize. There's 350 people. And I mm-hmm. said, all we'll, all we'll do at the end is I'll open up 10 breakout rooms. No, I'll open up 20 and we'll put 15 people in each room uh, and tell them they can go off, go home, go see the kids, go get their dinner, whatever. Or they could stay in and meet their, their friends as a company conference uh, for a bit. And so what happened was of the 350, 60% stayed on at the end to go into a breakout room to network and chat mm-hmm. with their friends. Uh, and what that happened was as one room kind of diminished, they jumped to another room. And we still had people in breakout rooms two hours after the conference finished. Oh. Chatting. And I had to go in and say, you know, time to go home. <laughs> like, I'm <laughs> going to switch off and put the lights off. But yeah. what you can do is you can, even on a virtual event, you can, you can, you can randomize people. There's te- technology for all this. And, and we're often using one where you go in and there's tables named something else you know, beer, cheese, chocolate, sausage. Uh, and if you're interested in beer, cheese, chocolate, or sausage, you go in the, the room and like you would book a seat on an airline, you just move to the table. And when yeah. you're on that table, it opens up Zoom or equivalent and you talk to everybody else on that table. So you can either do it where you profile everybody and recommend or you just say, off you go. But you have to network for a purpose. If you just leave it random, nobody does it. Everybody watches from the side and nobody jumps on anything. But if you give them a reason to network and explain how it works, it's going to happen. Interesting. So uh, bottom line, your like, uh, like, uh, prediction or your, your understanding is that uh, from 5% of online events pre-COVID, this is going to be 30, 40%, right? I, I think so. Yeah. Uh, and and is... then I think, I think, co- co- uh, I think uh, hybrids, which costs more. Yeah. Then, you know, you've literally got all the physical, most of the physical costs, apart from hotel rooms and everything, and you've got all the virtual costs. So yeah. hybrid yeah. is actually more costly yeah. than having a, a virtual event. But I think hybrid, oh, 20% hybrid. You know, if it was 40% virtual, 20% hybrid, and might get back to 40% physical. 
because there is going to be a driver, but nobody wants to be responsible for the first super spreader COVID event where they, right. run, a, they run a physical meeting. Yeah. I, I wouldn't. You know, it, it, because the, there's a well-documented physical meeting in healthcare where 300 people got infected and it was a global meeting and they all went home and infected pockets of people yeah. in their own countries. Yeah. You know, yeah. and that was in the early part, that was in April, May last year. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But but would you want to be responsible for the first physical event where it's it's a super spreader? Probably not. Yeah. Makes sense. Uh, Leslie, uh, last year, I think when, when, um, when most of your business just had lights turned off uh, very quickly, I think what you showed a very um, good example of resilience, right? And I think that this is what makes a businessman a businessman that he can or she can get by and make things work in the conditions that you have right and i think like i i like i like a quote that a quote that uh entrepreneurs are people who are doing so much with so little right mm -hmm. uh and uh, you showed such an example uh what is your second favorite line of business i mean if you weren't with open audience or or if you had free time uh what would you run i mean is there something you always wanted to do uh, outside from the event business or from the engagement audience engagement business that you wanted to try as a businessman uh, to, to make money or to enjoy my life uh i mean you can name a couple yeah I mean, for, for me, uh, so the idea like social justice and uh, is, is very important. Uh, and uh, the ability to educate people that don't have the ability to be educated because of the system is something that I feel quite strongly about. So I, I would be thinking of ways to use technology to bring education to people that can't naturally have technology you know I, I was always i was always I, I read an article where uh that they build technology where you could put uh so some circuiting in a football you could send that football to a country where uh uh they maybe don't have mains electricity and what you do is the kids play the football the football through its movement generates electricity and a battery in the ball and in the evening you un you, you open the ball and you put a light on top of the ball because yeah. the kids playing have generated light. And, and you think, well, you know, often people can't study in the evening because there's no light. So you then start to think, how could you create something where a similar thing, I think there's football pitches that have tiles and they've got right. this in some airports that generate electricity from running on them. So there's ex examples in Brazil of five-a-side football pitches that generate enough electricity to almost run the floodlights. So I'd be thinking of technology that allows you to get into places where there isn't a natural infrastructure that allows people to be able to do stuff to uh, maybe have a kit that allows kids to learn. So I'd love to explore something like that. Uh, and I know there's a charity that basically give almost like a, you know, a phone in a box that links to a mobile signal, that links to a memory chip that you have to generate through solar power electricity. So you open the box and you've got the equivalent of a, an iPad 
but with a chip with, with a memory stick that's got lots of data like on it and an encyclopedia on it and mm -hmm. i always thought just being able to do more of that so I, I'd, I'd like to do that socially uh any other business i'd like to be in uh i, I don't know i I, th I think the the key thing for me is is being able to make a difference uh to uh, society in some way so anything you can do that allows people to have a voice and, and make mm -hmm. money that's what i like about the event side you know the very fact we're 24 and a half thousand healthcare professionals on zoom if you imagine that every one of them is doing something different for a patient as a consequence of being on an r1 meeting we've influenced 24 and a half thousand healthcare professionals to be better looking after the patients and maybe use the drugs better and maybe make people well and and, and better quicker you know and, and and just the impact that that has but is that is is there anything else i, I don't know football manager i'd like me i'd like to be a football manager commercial oh, yeah. manager of my football team uh, and make them lots and lots of money so we can buy ronaldo and messi and a few other players and then dominate scottish dominate scottish football <laughs> that's unexpected that's nice uh all right uh i like to collect book recommendations from my guests what's your favorite book it can be a book on anything oh uh i've got a book in the drawer behind me and i would literally have to go to uh i i'm about to buy one which you know eastern european related so it's looking at the the politics of russia Okay. Uh, I'm quite interested in the politics of Eastern Europe, uh, okay. and there's 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 an autobiography of sorts, although it's not written by him, coming out about Putin, uh, which is in April, uh, and I've, okay. I've got it on I've got it on pre-order. Uh, okay. I, I think I, I think I think for me, books that talk about how Europe is set up and. Uh, you know, and, and how, you know, what's behind the nationalism in different countries. If I, if I wasn't doing what I was doing, I'd probably be an anthropologist. Uh, oh. Because I, I'm quite interested in, you know, the movement of people and the structure and what causes countries to be the way that they are and the different right. political right. systems, right or wrong. Uh, so I, I don't read a lot of books. Uh, I, I tend to dip in and out. And if I do read books, it tends to be like crime thrillers. And things like that right. i keep i keep buying business books that people recommend and i never read them uh, right I, I, but the subject I, is interesting yeah but I've, i found a site where you can literally get like the three-page summary of all the books oh yeah, yeah <laughs> so yeah. so if you want to read all the business books you go online and there's a place you can get a six-page summary of a business yeah. book the seven steps or here are the seven steps without reading 72 pages you know, it's, it's a cheat sheet for uh, business books, but uh, but no, I, I think for me, it's, it's, it's mostly around the sort of the, the politics of society, you know, and, and, and things like that, uh, and the history of the common man. I, I don't really do kings and queens. It's more about the impact that, that you know, the, the real populations have on society that's, that's interesting. Interesting uh nice uh i think that actually when it comes to business books sometimes these three page summaries are actually a lot better than the original book because yeah. like i feel like sometimes people who are writing business books they kind of feel like they have to do like 300 pages or whatever just to be able to sell it for 19.99 uh, 
so they try to water it down to basically adjust it to the expected format. Otherwise, like how can you sell three pages for twenty dollars, right? Yeah, so, and, yeah, yeah. And yet you have to. It has to be seven steps to something, or <laughs> or, 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 or five reasons to say yes, or five reasons to say no, or seven yeah. things that will make a difference to your life. And I think and number seven is lucky in a number of different cultures. I think. So yeah. if, you, if you're ever going to write a book, it should be seven steps towards something because you're more likely to sell it. If you've got two steps towards uh, the virtual events world, yeah, nobody's going to buy it. Uh, if I forgot seven steps, then like... Seven steps to virtual events. That sounds like uh, one hell of a book. It could be my next book. could be my next book. Leslie, it's been fantastic. Thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, Please uh, let me know uh, what else uh, you might want to cover because I like to repeat those meetings and I okay. hope to I have I hope to get uh, another call with you in six or twelve months yeah. and especially in the context of the pandemic and change and the changing yeah. behavior of people and uh, during during you know vaccination that is ramping up uh, I'd love to hear your perspective and, and how it has changed uh, over the next six or 12 yeah. months. Well, I, I think then let's talk about hybrid when I know more about hybrid in six months time. I mean, I, I, I think the interesting thing for me is uh, when something like this happens, you can basically say like, woe is me, you know, the sky has fallen in. Uh, right. There's absolutely nothing I can do. Uh, alternatively, it's recognizing that everybody else is in the same boat. And the more you can the more you can think about delivering or providing a service for the, for the requirements that people have, it's this, this adaptability piece and versatility. Yeah. Do, would I have ever guessed that we were doing what we're doing now 12 months ago? Absolutely not. Right. Uh, would I believe that anything we were doing 12 months ago now would be to high standard yes it would and i think what we've ended up doing is delivering things we weren't expected to to the same high standard we did before and that, that's an attitude that's a mindset thing it's like you know uh, adapt or die it's kind of like almost the, the, the final summary you know you, you, you know you can switch the lights off and lie at home in the dark or yeah. just just get out there and hope that you can keep the lights on and that's what we did right all right, Leslie, thanks again for taking the time. It was fantastic. Yeah, no nice problem. Day. Take care. Bye. Bye.